Welcome to the Shifting Our Schools podcast, where we believe learning never stops. We create innovative and flexible professional development opportunities that support the current research and thinking in education today. This week's podcast episode aspires to set you up to take another step forward on your personal learning journey. Now, here's your host, Jeff Udick. Well, welcome back to Shifting Our Schools. So great to be here with you. Hopefully you are listening to this podcast. That means you found a small moment in time to give yourself a break, a breather, some time to listen, learn, and reflect. And hopefully there is something in this episode that you can relate to and how you are feeling. What are you seeing in schools and what your personal next step might be? This week, we catch up with two international educators, Ian, a school administrator from Mozambique, and Kim, a technology coach from Germany, as we discuss what teachers need right now from school leaders and from each other. Of course, we dig into this week's free guide, Five Transformative Talks to Have as a Teacher Team. And of course, you can download that free guide over at our website, shiftingschools.com, under the resource menu. I think what I love most about this conversation isn't just the conversation that we had and get to share with you, but it's the fact that Kim is doing this at school at 7 p.m. at night, right before a school art festival. You'll hear as kids come into the room she is in and are unfazed by the fact a teacher is in there on a conference call. Kim spends the entire meeting moving from room to room to find a quiet place to continue the conversation. Meanwhile, One of Ian's kids walks in the room he's in in his house, and you can hear a door close as they slowly realize he's in there. I want to point this out before the episode begins for a couple of reasons. First, this is real life. Here's Kim trying to have a conversation in a school, and trying to find a quiet place in the school is really hard, even at 7 p.m. at night. The other thing I find amazing is the students seeing a teacher on a Zoom call didn't phase them in the slightest. People being on Zoom calls is the new norm in schools to the point where you don't change what you're doing. What you don't hear is Ian, Trisha, and I laughing as in the background of Kim's video, there are kids in all sorts of costumes coming and going as she scrambles to find a quiet place to talk. All of this, I think, sums up where we are in education right now. It's like every day is a day where you are just trying to get to a place to have a quiet conversation, to take some time to just breathe. And when you finally think you have found a place, the kids decide that's the room they're going to use to change into and out of their costumes. It just feels like how this year has been in education. Every time you think you have a handle on things, something comes up and disrupts the moment. So what can you really expect in this episode? Well, Really, just four educators from four different parts of the world talking about where we are in education right now, what do teachers need right now, and how do we help teachers understand you don't have to be brave to try new things in your classroom. You just have to go for it. I hope you enjoyed this honest conversation with a global perspective. And with that, on with the show. All right, welcome back to another episode of Shifting Our Schools. Thank you for joining us today. Got two great guests here uh, bringing in our international audience, which is always great to have. Trisha, how are you doing? Always great to see you. 
I am doing really well. Great to see you as well, Jeff. I'm so looking forward to this conversation. I, I just feel really lucky that the two guests, I'm being so mysterious up here at the top, uh, have, have found the time to chat with us because they are two educators who I love following online. They're two educators who I have respected for a really, really long time. So it's just sort of a, an honor to be sharing this virtual space with both of them today. Yeah, and, and you, you just and got you done too, doing Jeff, a conference. Sorry. Oh, yeah, thanks. No, uh, and you just got done doing a conference together, all three of you, at the Learning to Europe conference, which is very cool. A great way to reconnect and then keep the conversations going over here. So, well, let's start with you, Ian. Tell us where you're from, what's going on. Yes, I waited for you to take a drink of your water. Then I was going to ask you where you're from. So, uh, give us a little bit of your background, Ian. Yeah, hi. Uh, really good to be here. And um, likewise, uh, honored to be amongst such uh, special company. Um, yeah, so my name is Ian Hoke, and I am uh, from America. I am also British. I've been teaching internationally for some time. I am currently in Maputo, Mozambique, uh, the beautiful shores of the Indian Ocean, and a secondary school principal at the American International School of Mozambique. Awesome. Thank you. And Kim? Yes. Um, I am originally from California, but I've been living in Munich, Germany for the last 25 years. Um, this is almost more my home than, than my actual home. Um, oh, wow. Isn't that crazy? Like many international educators, I think we have many, many homes. Um, and I've been in educational technology here right from the beginning when we had the first little clamshell Max that arrived in a, in a laptop card and everybody said, what the heck are we going to do with these? <laughs> um, yeah, so it's been a long, wonderful journey with educational technology. And I've known all of the people on this screen for a while, um, which so it's great to be here with you. It's so funny you mentioned that. I was actually doing a presentation not that long ago, and I was looking for an image of that old clamshell because I had like a blue one. That was the first laptop I was ever given as a teacher. It was like the blue clamshell. And I remember you all thought that thing was amazing. It looked space-aged. And it had a handle. It had a handle. Oh. I know. I know. So you could carry it. I couldn't <laughs> find a picture of it, though. I was all over Google search trying to find a picture of it. I'm like, how can there not be a picture of these old clamshells? They came in beautiful colors. They were gorgeous yeah, back in the day. Color photo negative. Like, yeah. <laughs> digital, there's no digitized versions. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It's so crazy to think how far we've come, you know, when you think back to those, to those, uh, those eras of, of where we were when we got started and how things are. So that's uh, great. Well, I'm excited to have a great conversation with you today, all focused on, you know, what, where are we at um, kind of in education and what are some of those things that we see that, that teachers need, the conversations we need to be having in our classroom. So Tricia, I'm going to hand it over to you to kind of get us started here. Sure. I mean, you know, Kim and Ian, you're both uniquely positioned to bring in that perspective of what have your teachers needed this year. Um, you know, support certainly needs to look different than it than it did all of those years ago, uh, and I would say perhaps even different from a year ago. So we're really interested in just hearing your thoughts on what's working in your context, what you're thinking about, and how we're going to sustain really supporting educators who not only need it but deserve it. Um, and a few weeks ago, we released a free guide. It's still up on the Shifting Schools site. It's called Five Transformational Talks to Have as Teacher Teams. Um, and this came out of a request from some of our, our loyal listeners and, and newsletter subscribers. 
who were looking for some prompts to bring to their teams to make sure, you know, there's been an awful lot of conversation around social emotional learning having to be a priority for students, and it has to be for adult learners too. So maybe to start things off, uh, we'd love your thoughts on, you know, what what have you prioritized in, in terms of this is a conversation that adult learners need to make time for, um, uh, you know, or, or again, this is a, a conversation that's really going to position us to be able to support one another or to be aware of the kinds of support that one another needs? I feel like we've just had to slow down. Um, people are coming back for, in our circumstances in, in Germany, it, we were out of school for quite a long time and there were pockets of people in and out. I'm sure that's the same situation for many people. Um, there were pockets of people in and out and it, it just means that people are, they're needing time to adjust. Um, and I feel like I came back sort of ready to like guns blazing. Here we go. We're all back. And I was super excited and I was kind of hit with these people aren't ready for this. And they've, although we experienced the same thing, our reactions to it have been quite different. And so really taking the temperature um, in meetings, in uh, large meetings, small meetings, team meetings of like, where are people at? What can they handle right now? And I guess my question continues to be, when will we get to a point where we're ready for a little bit more? Um, that's just, that's just me. I'm always sort of pushing, pushing, pushing. So I've had to really take a step back in my expectations. Mm -hmm. You know, I, so I think the last thing you said, right, is when will people be ready for a little bit more is, it, you know, in our context, we had a hard shutdown at the end of the 2019-2020 school year. Campus is closed, you know, all schools closed. And so we, everyone went to the four winds. So people stayed in Mozambique, people went everywhere. And we did a um, largely asynchronous sort of uh, virtual learning, right? But then that wasn't going to... Uh, that just was not going to be something that we could pitch back to the community for year two of that. And so the, the real time, the hybrid, you know, when we were off campus, we were virtual when we were on campus, we were hybrid all of last year. And to the faculty's great credit, they um, didn't walk away. You know, they, they kept mm -hmm. doing it. We stripped away everything. It didn't matter. You know, it, it, the day was shortened. And I think that this year, what we're, we, we started virtual, but we've been only for a few weeks. And right now, except for masks and, and some social distancing, and it looks a lot like school looked, you know, and, and it feels pretty normal and everything feels pretty good. And I, with, the, with the caveat that it could absolutely change. And I, I'm at pains to remind people that the permanence is an illusion, you know. Um, but there is, a, there is, I think, a fair amount of um, fatigue and frustration around a, a, a day, like a, like a day, a full school day, um, not being at home, you know, cause there's a, there's a silver lining there, right? Like teachers can't pee sometimes. When yeah, they right. To, right? So and, true. And, and yeah. And when you're at home, you, you, you can. And, um, and, and so those, some of those silver linings of a bit more in a sense of a manageable, more control over your time, you know, that we, get that up as teachers, there's a bit of a loss of that. And then some, some more demands, right? Or, yeah, we are going to collaborate, right? We're going to come together to work in time that 
could otherwise be used independently, but but we need that. And I think it's just sort of that, I don't know, it feels like a renegotiation of of um, of what we're here to do, you know, and we're not going to do superfluous, but we are going to do it together. And that takes time. And that also is hard. Right. And we, we love each other and we frustrate each other. And so um, I just, why I love this resource. I'm excited to talk about some of it because it does speak, I think to the, to really the nature of the work we're doing, which is getting, trying to capture some of what was good, but also figuring out how to do what's next. And I, you know, I think a lot of that is, our ability to listen to one another. I mean, what both of you just talked about was almost, are we aware of this pivotal shift that's happening in our mindset around reprioritization, around maybe even addressing in what regards were some of the things that we were doing before just unsustainable? Um, and I don't know if anybody else follows on Twitter. I love this account, and so do like eighty thousand other people. They are the Nap Ministry, uh, and they're uh, they're sharing kind of <laughs> a little bit about like the values behind napping. But um, I'm kind of just going to read. This is actually just from twelve hours ago. They tweeted out. I keep hearing rest so you can recharge and fill your own cup so you can pour. You can't pour from an empty cup. How about we just rest because it's our right to do so? Um, and again, it's 12 hours ago, like 1,300 other people have already said like, yes, that resonates with me. Um, and I, I guess I feel like anecdotally, I'm hearing more of a, a valuing of wellness can't just be you know, platitudes and talk. Like It actually has to be a value. But of course, I feel like in the world of education, there's almost a retraining around but how do we really prioritize it? We can say we want to, but in practice, what does that actually look like? And I'm kind of just wondering if if that resonates with either of you in your context, or if you're seeing steps that are actually, you know, moving away from right, we can just talk the talk to no, like really we are making this one of our core values and priorities. I mean, it definitely speaks to me. And and I I think that it is. You know, like four years ago, everyone had to have like mindfulness built in to the day, right? And mindfulness is important, but it's a pretty personal practice. And I think like making everyone in a room of 50, 70, 150 faculty meditate, I feel like it's not, I never felt like it was necessarily ethical because for some people that's a, a trap, you know, they don't want to be in there. And so, yeah, I think falling, stripping away some of that almost pretense of doing it instead of, mm. Hey, what if we were just really bloody minded about what matters? And we just do that because the thing is, right. Is that there's still kids and the, and that work is immediate and we can't wait to do our best for kids every single day. So that it's like, we, you know, yes. And that, so then what are we going to do if that's most important? Um, and that's probably just getting super clear on what we're doing today, tomorrow, next week, next month. Um, yeah. How do we, I guess, how do we balance kind of school expectations? And maybe I'm jumping the gun, Trisha, if you were going to ask another question, but I'm thinking in what you're saying, you're in a leadership position, Ian, and as somebody who has influence on leadership a little bit, but I'm sort of this middle person, I just don't know how to balance sort of school expectations with what teachers 
are ready for, capable of, and what what's that sort of chasm right now that I feel kind of exists that we're recognizing, but not quite sure how to bridge, you know? Mm. So we mm-hmm. still need to do report cards. We still need to, you know, or do we? That's another question to ask, right? We're still stuck with our our timetable that we didn't have during distance learning, but we've come back to it. So I don't know. There's there's this chasm right now. Teachers aren't aren't ready to do all the stuff they were doing, and in some cases, are like not doing it. Yeah, <laughs> even. And I agree with you. I I think I think everything that you're talking about is just where we're at, and I don't think. Everything that we're talking about, I don't think is unique to right now to education. If you read on what's going on in the corporate world outside of education as well, I think there's a lot of this like renegotiating what's important to us. And a couple of the things that I'm seeing, and you guys feel free to elaborate on this, but this idea of like we had these, we had these like side curriculums that we knew we were supposed to be doing and we knew they were going to be good. Like we were supposed to be doing social emotional learning. And, you know, we brought in social emotional learning curriculum into our classroom. It was beautiful. It's a little kid. It's called second step or it's called uh, feelings first or like there's a million of them. Right. And we would pull them out. We would do our half hour lesson, covered our SEL stuff, and we go back to doing school. I think of the same thing, Kim, in your in your position as a, as a tech coach, right? We had this thing that we knew we were supposed to be doing digital citizenship. So what did we do? We went out and we bought a digital citizenship lesson, or we went to Common Sense Media, and we downloaded all of the things, and we did the half hour of digital citizenship, wiped our hands, and said, ta-da! We did these side curriculums. What I'm kind of seeing, and I'm wondering if you're seeing this too, is we're really starting to renegotiate, oh, we know SEL is important. It's more than a half hour lesson. It has to be an embedded in everything we do. And we don't know how to do that. We're, we're struggling with how do you fit that inside of a system that I still have a scope and sequence and I've got to get through 350 math standards in 180 days. I don't have time for SEL, but all of a sudden we know that's probably more important than ever. Coming out of distance or hybrid learning, we know that digital citizenship it was more critical than we gave it value for and is going to be more critical than it than it ever will be in the future. But we don't know how to do it outside of a half hour lesson that's like pre-planned for us. And we have the kids talk about what they see on their Instagram account. And then like we brush it off and put it away. And I think part of that renegotiation is everything that you're talking about is all of these things that were on the edges of what we did, all of a sudden came very valuable. And we're trying to figure out how do we bring some of those into, but it's going to mean letting go of some other things like your Kim, the thing that I am seeing that I like is frustrating me personally is we had, we had some schools make amazing timetables, very unique, incredible timetables that when they actually went and interviewed the kids, the kids said, I like this better. And then we come back to school for less of lack of a better term. And we were just like, oh yeah, but you have to have seven period days. You have to sit in a class for 50 minutes. And I'm like, but the kids just told you they like that better. And I just think there's a lot of just renegotiating, like what is school? I mean, that is a massive question right now that I think we're renegotiating on a lot of different levels. And you're renegotiating on so many levels. It's hard to know where to start and where you're going. You know, I don't know. At least teachers- at least teachers are recognizing that certainly SEL. I mean, because yeah. they're seeing it in their face every day, the kids have come back missing these skills. They are very different to the kids that, that walked out the distance learning. Yeah. They have come back with very pronounced needs and it's 
all over the place. A lot of selfishness, a lot of inability to collaborate and work with other people, easily frustrated. So they're exhibiting behaviors that clearly can be benefited from more SEL. And so our teachers are flagging that, but they're kind of not sure what to do with it. But what mm. has to go? What do, where, do, where does it go? What do we Where do, do I fit it? Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, it's also clear that, you know, because effectiveness matters, right? And, and, and impact matters. And classrooms in which students were learning, or, or maybe like even beyond classrooms, but for people from whom um, kids have been learning are uh, building strong relationships, right? They're culturally relevant in their teaching. Kids are seeing themselves in their curriculum, uh, in their learning experiences. Maybe they have choice and whatnot, right? Like, so so it's tough because some of those, um, it might just be affective skills, are what carried the learners who were having a positive experience through this global meltdown uh, yeah. along, right? And, and yeah, you can't package it. And building capacity for everybody to make sure they, they have classrooms like that is going to be a long process. Uh, and um, yeah, I, I can understand, I do understand the second step. You know, I understand why we, we bring on a ruler or something because, sure, it's, right. it, it, you know, there, there's some sort, there's something there, uh, but it's, it is just fundamentally quality learning environments. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I wonder too, you know, it's interesting talking about, you know, this moment of reimagining and now I almost feel like we're grappling with, are we going to reimagine or are we going to go back? Mm. And with that too, you know, tell me if this feels wrong to you, but it, it also just seems like what educators just did was so remarkable. I mean, professional sports leagues had to say, pause, you know, the Olympics had to say pause and schools continued. And I feel like we had a brief moment of like some collective cheering for that. But I don't know if we ever really recognized what an enormous feat of effort, of creativity, of innovation that was. Um, and I, I kind of wonder if that seems to be a part of it too, or I don't know, Kim or Ian, was that, is that not the sense uh, where where you are at? I mean, I certainly I, I get the feeling here in North America that I do not think educators were given the respect due for what they just did. And again, you know, even just the notion that yeah, like the NBA had to say we can't figure this out with all of our money, but education, you know, you got to figure it out. Yeah, I think that you and I talked about this, Tricia. The debrief that kind of needed to happen when you got everybody back on site again to have that recognition, celebration, appreciation, but then also the conversations about where are people at, just all of it, taking the temperature, all of those things. If, if that didn't happen, I think people are still looking at this as like, well, scenario A is distance learning or some sort of hybrid thing. Scenario B is school as we know it. And anything else feels like, Oh, but I don't want to go back to that thing that we had mm. to do that was so, so, so hard. So let's do the thing that we know how to do because I can sit in that pocket and it's okay. 
So the time when we were having those conversations was during distance learning, right? We were having these exciting, engaging academic, educational, pedagogical conversations during distance learning because it was painful and people were trying things and it was exciting. But now it's like, oh, here I am. Nine o'clock class is starting. Yeah. I don't know. So I feel like those are fading away. Mm. I don't know. I mean, the, 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 certainly the, the lift was enormous, right? Like the lift was enormous. And, and I mean, here, here, this school, like seven years ago, they were just desktop computers, you know? And, and then literally five years after that, we went entirely virtual networking with teachers all around the globe and rocked it. And in fact, that was a great model, but nobody wants it because I think there is this other part of school that, that this is why we need timetables and like seating charts and sense because all the adults have to go to work and they don't want to be at home with their kids all day. And so yeah. the, that like all of a sudden, one of the things that certainly I think in North America, everyone noticed was, wow, that duty of care is really a thing, huh? You know? Yeah. Right. <laughs> you guys could do whatever you want, kind of, as long as as long as you have my kid and uh, there's, there is a, it's a limiting factor, right? It's a constraint in the design piece. Um, but I also, I don't know. I, I, I want to live in that world where everybody buys like all the teachers, uh, like a, I don't know, like an Oprah car or something. <laughs> I'm not holding my breath. I, I think you're right. I think it dissipated quickly. So, and it's, yeah. you know, somebody pointed out to me once, like any profession that has an appreciation day, it has that appreciation day because it's not actually something that gets appreciated. Um, and I, you know, I really do hope that's going to shift. Like, I wonder if, I don't know if anybody has seen it came out October 19th on the Cult of Pedagogy blog. Uh, the title is Teachers Are Barely Hanging On. Here's what they need. It's an excellent, excellent post. We'll have the link to it over there in the show notes if you haven't seen it. But um, you know, I, I just I love the authenticity and the the highlight on uh, you know what what she says here about time. I'm just going to quote this really quickly. Uh, so where where she says, quote, historically teachers have never had enough time to do their jobs well. This has been a problem for generations, but it's gotten worse in recent years as standardized te- standardized testing has become the end all be all for measuring success. Pre COVID, there was already no margin for error, no extra space or time for most teachers to thoughtfully plan, collaborate, and assess student work. End quote. Um, and I think that timepiece we've been talking about it for forever. Yeah, so true. Forever. Do either of you see anything, you know, happening around that where, like, finally, actually, we're gonna we're gonna do something creative to give teachers that time that we know they need, that we know is so so crucial. Um, or, you know, not to be a Debbie Downer, is this going to be stagnant? You know, do you do you think that we're going to see a shift or? Mm-mm. I hope so. But I mean, I've even sometimes it's giving teachers permission. Like I, I think I've been working with some teachers where I've said, you know what, what if we just collapsed the day so that we could get this project done and get the kids excited about it and not have to pick it up, pack it up, get it out, you know, in the 20 minutes that that takes, like, can we just collapse the day or the morning? And they've been really like, what? That's a thing? We can do that? Yeah. Yeah. Nobody's telling you you can't. You get to choose when you're doing math. I mean, it's harder with secondary students, but there is flexibility there. 
Um, I don't know. So those things people seem to be open to like that. I That's injecting some, you know, excitement and enthusiasm into something instead of packaging into these 45 minute blocks. It's not, it's not harder with secondary students. Don't let anyone tell you that it is. I, you know, I, honestly, I, I, we, we've got a great, you know, this group of science teachers who are going to do something they're calling IA Island, where they're going to go yeah. off to Inyaka Island on the other side of the bay. And they're going to do science for a couple of days. They're going to stay because yeah. we, we kept doing week without walls, right? Yeah. We didn't stop. And uh, it was day trips last year. And this year we bought, you know, a bunch of individual tents. So one person tents, because then we've solved the sleeping problem. And so, all right, we're going to take our single person tents over to Inyaka Island. And, um, you know, somebody said, well, but what about the hours, you know, for DP? I was like, well, where do you want to go for two days? You know, like, where, where do you want to go with economics students? Where do you want to go with your English students? You know, do you want to go down to the Baisha and go look at these incredible old, like, art deco playhouses where Henny Mankall stage plays and go, you know, what do you want to do? Um, there, that I think we can, that is the, the permission piece, right? I, I mean, I wish that, first of all, I wish that if we really, it's hard in international Navy and independent schools, right? Because it's, if you say, Hey, let's hire two times as many teachers so that everyone can work with a colleague and then they'll have all sorts of time. Right. You know, that, that's a great solution. Um, hey everybody, you want to pay twice, twice the tuition It's probably, that's going to be a hard sell initially. Uh, yeah, I'd love to see some, you know, maybe the United States government float $4 billion to try something interesting, but uh, you know, there are people have been playing with flex time, teachers bidding for time, right. Throughout the year. Um, kids may be bidding for time. You know, we, we have a little block of the day. It's 50 minutes in high school, 40 minutes in middle school. We call projects, interventions, and extensions. And by and large, kids get to choose how they use that time. And sometimes they do get pulled in, you know, Hey, like I spent the last two days working on some extended essays with a few, few kids, uh, but other kids get to then say, Hey, we want to workshop on this, or can we get together and work on that project? Um, we could have way more of that. Mm-hmm. Um, that, but you're in a leadership position, though, Ian. So I think when we're talking to an audience of teachers who maybe don't feel they have the power in these situations, right, to advocate for requests, ask for, I don't know, you're in a leadership position where with that vision, you can do so much that's so powerful to be able to give people permission. You're a permission giver. You know what I mean? And I wonder, it's interesting because that also comes up, you know, in that post where Jennifer Gonzalez also writes, I'm going to quote again, the truly outstanding school leaders I have known are outstanding because they are reflective, because they think they always have room for improvement, end quote. And so, you know, Kim, to take your point, Ian, yes, you've been reflective, right? You've been thinking about how can it look different? You're sort of known for that. And I'm almost wondering for the school leaders out there who are maybe early to the game or don't have the confidence, you know, when you're talking about that flexibility and that trust, right, to, to say to students, to say to teachers, choose, you're going to get the, the choice of how you get to use their time. There's an enormous amount of trust there. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of just wondering, Ian, if you have any thoughts for teachers who are thinking, my school leader needs a little bit of a nudge around, yes, trust us. Could you help, again, a little bit make the argument of why that's to their advantage to do that? Sure. Well, 
Um, geez, there's so much. I mean, first of all, Dolly, it's not like we still have a schedule. You know, the other that was 50 minutes and 40 minutes. The rest of the time is, you know, yeah. class breaks and lunch. So don't don't let me oversell it. We've got plenty of plenty of uh, growth ahead of us in that regard. But uh, I mean, I, I look. I taught for 16 years. I understand. You know that that um, I understand that it can be scary and hard to raise ideas and say, wait, what if, you know, what if we took an hour at the end of Wednesday, you know, um, look for the spots. Uh, but I, I mean, I hope and I, many school leaders are open to hearing that, you know, hearing something or just listening in general, you know, come, come with a, come and meet book, book an hour, book a half an hour. Let's have a conversation. Uh, but it is also true that school school leaders themselves are under constraints. I mean, like I said, you know, we're not going to, I'm not going to expand my budget by a hundred percent. I don't have, I can't do that. There's, a, there's constraints. So um, might be questions like, you know, uh, like what are all the things stopping us from some flex time? You know, what is the worst thing that would happen if we didn't have 90 minute blocks, we had 80 minute blocks and then we had 40 minutes of flex time two days a week or something. I, I, I think that, most school leaders are educators too and just want to do good stuff and yeah. i love that idea of like what's the worst that could happen if yeah what's the yeah. worst that could happen if we extended this school day by 10 minutes and all teachers got a half a day to plan you know or we have a school district here we actually have a school district in the state that after after coming back went to a four-day work week and so the kids only come for four days they extended those four days to meet their time allotments but they have all day off Friday. So the kids have three-day weekends every weekend. And now let's put it in context. This is a rural school district where very a lot of farming families. So most have, you know, either both parents are working the farm and are quote unquote at home or on a tractor where you could take a kid. Like we're not talking, you know, uh, parents usually like quote unquote going to work. Um, so there are some flexibilities within that community there. But so far, the reports coming out are parents love it. Kids love it. Teachers get a full day Friday to plan the incredible lessons for the next week. And everybody sees that they are moving faster. They're having less classroom management problems. And the day's actually longer. Like they added, I think it ended up being like 25 minutes. Each day became longer to make up that, you know, that last day. But it was this idea of that, that kind of question, like what's the worst that could happen? Right. And how do we, how do we even take a year like this? And I, going back to our five trans, transformational talks, one of the ones that I keep coming back to is the one, and this is the sentence starter in the PDF document. You can download this. It's when things are in flux, spark a conversation about what the change means. Like it, when we're in a flux situation, one, one thing I love about this conversation, we're not going to answer any questions today, but what I hope is, is there's conversations like this happening in schools everywhere. And one, like the other thing I'm loving about this is like, it's like, we're actually in a school. For those of you listening to this, you're going to hear a bunch of noise in the background because Kim's actually at school. Like we're just a bunch of teachers in a classroom and kids are coming and leaving. And I don't know what's going on around you, Kim, but poor Kim's got people walking in with costumes behind her. You're not going to see any of that, but like, this is like, this is really what we need to be having, right? Like in your school where there are kids walking around and things, can you find a place where it's halfway quiet, not even really quiet? Just to sit down and say, what's the worst that could happen if we tried this? Yeah. Or because things are in such flux, what are the, what does this change mean? What are we willing to give up? I think that's another great question from a leadership perspective. 
of asking the asking that question because if we keep piling on things, which we do in education, we like to pile on. You break the system, and that's where the idea of time came from, right? Like we don't have enough time because now we have to teach SEL and we have to teach digital citizenship, and we've got to teach this, we got to teach this, and, and all of a sudden you're you're completely overwhelmed. And so I think another one of those questions is what are, what is worth giving up? What is worth giving up? Cursive writing. I'll go back to cursive writing. Can we give up <laughs> cursive writing? You know, I mean, is that something we can give up? I just found a half hour three times a week. If we're willing to give up cursive writing, like what's worth giving up, you know? And I think that even just that as a conversation. That's not doing list. I tell you what, it, it go. that's a thing. Ask your, ask your leaders, do you have a stop doing list? Like, yeah. are you considering it? It's crazy how many people think that that's utterly insane to think about, you know, like once something happens, that's why the best way to start change. Here's a great idea to teachers. Offer to pilot something and know that when yeah. you pilot it, it will be a permanent change for all of eternity because no one ever <laughs> stops doing anything. So if you're passionate so about true. something, pilot it. Yeah. I just had, want to run a pilot project. Yeah. We just had at the beginning of the school year, a keep, stop, start meeting. So it was super open and our principal was very brave to do it because she knew she might get some stuff on there that she didn't necessarily want to hear, but it was really good. And then I'm part of a of a small academic council that looked through the stuff with her, the post-it notes. And it was really, really good. And so many things were generated from that of her, the principal actually saying, you know what, some of the things on this list, teachers, you actually have autonomy over. You've given it to me. But if you want to have outdoor education, sign up, go do it. Pilot project you know, who, and so she made a list of all of the things that teachers actually have their own autonomy over and said, here's a list, sign up for the things you're interested in. That's great. Start a little group and do it. And the teachers were a little taken aback because sometimes they want to dump everything on the principal's lap and say, "Ah, we want all this stuff. But she was like, no, you have full power to do it. Go. I will let you take your class outside. And now you're like, oh, no, now I got to figure out how to take my class outside. Exactly. Guess what, guys? There's a forest over there just waiting to be explored. Off you go. (laughs) There's there's two things there, though, that I want to comment on. And one of them, you know, the reimagining time piece, there's a great TED Talk that came out. Maybe we'll put the link in the show notes, too. It's called Three Tips for Leaders to Get the Future of Work Right by Debbie Lovich. And she says um, this point about in organizations where we have uh, a reoccurring meeting that's on the calendar for the whole year, like get, get rid of that. You know, we might need a reoccurring meeting for a little bit of time, but there should, there should never be a reoccurring meeting. That's just infinity time. And even that I was like, Oh my gosh, my mind is blown. I've never realized. Yeah. We, we always do that in schools and maybe we can move away from that. But Kim, you know, you mentioned this person did something and they were brave And it dawns on me that in education, when we're trying something new, we shouldn't have to be brave, right? And the part of the bravery is the fear that if it doesn't go well, am I going to be shamed? Are people going to tell me I wasn't doing my job right? And, you know, Ian, it's just like palpable that as a school leader, you would be supportive, right? Like folks could try things out and nobody's ever going to be told like, oh, that didn't work out. You're a terrible teacher, So I also wonder, you know, both of you have that mentorship role that's kind of baked into what you do. What is something that we can be doing just to build that psychological safety? If we're in a time and space where we have to do things differently, what's something that folks can do where it's like, you don't have to be brave. Like bravery is not going to be a requirement of the experiment. How can we be letting folks know, yeah, like it's totally okay to try something and it not work. 
Because I think even that, we feel so much pressure on ourselves as educators. If we do something new, it's like it has to be so well-planned yeah. that it goes perfectly. And that's not life, right? It just isn't. I think, I mean, professional learning communities, you might have some more to say about that, but that that's an opportunity that's given to us if your school's having something like that in place. And if they don't, then that's something you could start. You could go out and pilot a professional learning community that's focused on a specific thing that teachers want to try or do. So it's some research behind it. You've got a team to work with. Um, maybe you even get a couple of lessons free to have these meetings and, and talk. And it's a safe space um, with agreements about what we say in here, we keep in here. So we're not spreading it around the school that people are frustrated with something or whatever. That, that's being effective, at least. And it gives teachers, it's an official channel, basically, to try stuff, you know? <laughs> well, I think I, I mean I think you're you're right about that, and it, it's hard. I mean, it's really hard because I I don't know. I mean, I think humans we self limit so often because of these these fears of and anxieties that are, are you know are real to us. But I mean, I can't tell you how often I I heard as a teacher, and I still hear now, like all oh, the parents would never let us do that, and 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 uh, or they would never go stand for that, and I. So I have to ask, how do you like? How do you know that? You know, how do, how do you know that that project-based unit and you know AP Bio isn't going to fly with parents? Like my experience of parenting is, I have no idea what's happening in my kids' classrooms, and uh, <laughs> you know, like I uh, I just don't think that's right. Uh, and and if and now, okay, the seat that I'm in, I mean, I hope everyone. I don't believe anyone gets attacked by parents and there's like no one to be there with them. You know what I mean? Uh, isn't like it, my, isn't it about the sales pitch though, too? It's how it's how you sell it. You know, well, sometimes you don't even have to sell it. Like you well, know, to it parents. depends on what it is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, something major, but also, Hey, if you're talking about a, some sort of risk in your classroom or maybe it's about time, right? Like, Hey, what if the humanities classes were just, open and kids could go where they wanted to do this unit or something, right? They could, we're going to do an interdisciplinary unit and they can, they can decide which teacher they want to be with. And somehow it works, you know, and we look at it and go, well, I don't know. You know what if, no, I don't know. Like, I, how will they know? They're too busy. They're, I mean, because one of the problems limiting us as educators is we're tired too. Like we're myopic and focused and, and overworked. And, and so, uh, probably no one will know. I think it's probably all right. You know, um, it is tough. I actually think it's a harder problem to fix than it sounds like. I mean, I've, yeah. my last school, we had a failure festival, you know, we were trying to like, and afterwards it was just kind of like, well, did that work at all? Did that, was that just weird? I mean, we had cake, but was it, <laughs> it was a good idea in a sense, but I don't know that it made anyone feel better about taking a risk. Cause I just don't think anyone wants to fail or feel mm. And I think you bring up a, I think you bring up a good point with that. And that, that makes me, and I think this is a good place to maybe, maybe end this episode uh, because we have to get going here, but um, that idea of failure, right. And, and where does that come from? And that fear of failure that we have in the classroom. And so many times it, it, uh, when I'm talking with teachers and stuff there, there is this moment of like, I would love to do that amazing project, but what if it doesn't work? And yeah. I think one of the things we have to understand is if you try a project in your classroom that is standards-based and you're trying to do something different, the kids will be okay. You're not going to harm kiddos. 
And I think that's the biggest thing. And they're like, well, but I just wasted a week. No, your kids learn things. No. They learn that adults need to take risks. They learn that sometimes you try new things and it doesn't always go the way you like. And I got news for you. They probably learn stuff anyway. You know, kids are going to be okay. We, uh, if, if we haven't learned, if we've learned anything out of this last year, it's how resilient kids can be, you know, it, yeah. when we just, and I think sometimes we got to get out of our own way and just say like, yeah, I'm going to give this a go. And even tell the kids, my favorite is to say, look, I'm trying this for the first time. Can you tell me what you like and don't like when we're going through this? Like, just be open and honest. And like, if it's a failure, you can all tell me it was a failure and tell me how to make it again. And whenever I've seen teachers do that, it's never a failure. The kids are open and honest about what parts they liked and didn't like, and you become a better teacher. They appreciate that you're actually being honest, not hiding from them uh, and pretending in the classroom. I don't know. I just think that, you know, we're, we're in this situation and we're in a moment in time where we are, we are frustrated. We're overwhelmed. We are in a mask. We just want things to, to settle for a second. And I think one of the things and we kind of talked about it here is we're still not in that moment where I feel like I could settle. You know, we, yeah. we still, even to your point, like everything seems normal in Ian's school, except for masks and social distancing. Well, teaching in a mask all day is horrible, you know? And so there's still these little things that he doesn't, we're just not, I, I just, I want a moment to breathe. I just want one moment to breathe. And then I can start thinking about that stuff. And it's really hard because this is the way, this is the profession of education. Education never stops. I mean, a pandemic can't stop education. You know, the thing that teachers like to say is like, we're constantly building the plane as we fly it. Yeah, you are. That's the profession that we're in. And it, it's it's not going to, it, it will never stop, right? It, that's just the way education is. And so we've every, got to continue to find third ways. third graders move on and the next year there's yeah. more third graders. They yeah. And there's more coming. third graders. Yeah, they just keep coming. Yeah. But we I also know. want, we want that kind of learning from our kids. You're talking about teachers taking yeah. risks. We want, we're asking our kids to do this all the time. It's about the reflective process. It's not necessarily about your final product. What did you get yeah. out of it? So if we're here's, doing that as teachers, right? And here, but here's the difference with that, Kim. I would say when we're asking our learners to do that, educators are always seeing and hearing and understanding the inherent risk and supporting students. Yeah. I don't know that every teacher has had that experience with their administrator. And yeah. I I do think if we if we want folks to be taking that risk, they need to be seen, heard, and valued by school yep. leaders. I feel like one of the luckiest things that happened to me very early on in my career, um, I tried to kind of like launch this school-wide little project thing. It was on the last day before holiday break. It was a half day. So all of these students had this big performance. It went over time. It went over time on that half day before a holiday. And I was like sweating. I mean, like my <laughs> shirt was just drenched. And the director at the time came over to me. Like he could tell, I think that I was like, uh, you know, about to implode. And he just put his hand on my shoulder and he said, the kids are loving it. This is great. Don't worry about it. Nobody is going to remember that it went over time. Like it's almost done. The kids are so engaged right now. That's what they're going to remember. And I just like, Again, this is like almost 17 years later. I still remember that moment. Mm. And I just, yep. I really do think more teachers need that moment of you tried this thing. And even if it wasn't perfect, somebody still really, really appreciates it. I really don't know that that's the average experience for teachers. And it should be, that should be like a bar, a bare minimum. 
Yeah, agreed. That's right. and, agreed. And it's and it's 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 hard to do, right? And there's a there's a lot of teachers, and they're doing a lot of good stuff. That's sorry about that. There's a, they are, I mean. So it's like balancing the trust, right? Being in the right place at the right time, having enough of those moments. I have to say, I mean, when I think about the next couple of weeks, the document you shared on transformative conversations to have with teacher yeah. teams, like, I think one of the things is like, is like what they need, that's what you needed in that moment. Someone else needed something else, right? It, it is mm. like, like teaching in that respect. And so you've got some nice tools there for like, hey, if we did a little more of this right now, or even yep. if I could do a little more of this right now, that would be what I need. And sometimes that's what you need. And then sometimes like, I like the tool that's asks, where are you in this process? Oh, I can see the yeah. goalposts. I can yeah. see a path, oh, but not the goalpost, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I can't really see anything. And, you know, like in, in valuing that we might be in different parts of, of a given process and that, hey, guess what? That's human and you're still competent and we still want you here and we still see the work you're doing and it's good work, right? It's, yeah. Um, yeah. but talk about an area that, talk about never never stopping growing. That's an area as a school leader, I would aspire to grow well into. I love yeah. that. And I think like I wrote down the quote, Ian, I think you said it. Um, and I think it's probably going to become the title of the podcast is you don't have to be brave, right? Like there's things that we can do you don't have to be brave. Like we just need to do, we need to do good work. And, um, and I know it's uh, we're getting here. We have to get going. I want to thank you both for taking time uh, from Mozambique and Germany. And I know Kim is anxious to get going on because your, your son is swimming in the German national swim team meet tonight. Yep. He is. He's up in Berlin. Awesome. Um, so yeah. congratulations to you. That's, that's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. And, Absolutely. and uh, yes, as you go back, you you're, people are going to need to listen to this episode the second time because you can actually hear Kim moving around the room in her school, <laughs> trying to get away from kids. And but this is like this is to me is like a post pandemic world. The kids come walking into the room; they can see that you're on a Zoom call, and it doesn't phase them. Like there is no, they're just like, oh, all right, that's it. And they just like they kept going about their business. They were just like, like that would have been totally different before, right? Before the right. pandemic, it would have been like, oh, sh- we have to be quiet. Now it's just like, ah, oh, it's just another their meeting call over zoom i just love this right we're in this different world oh it's so great it's so great so thank you for just giving us that like i don't have to put in a soundtrack or anything that's like real noise coming from a Sorry. real classroom so no it's perfect it's perfect we're real people doing real work so yeah. i i appreciate it so kim uh good luck to your to your family tonight uh thank with you. the swimming and everything and, and all right thanks for taking time uh Absolutely. to join us here ian all the way from mozambique I just, it, it blows my mind that I still have rural communities here in the state of Washington that don't have internet and we can Zoom from Mozambique, right? Like, it's unbelievable. <laughs> it's so crazy True. to think about where, where we're coming yeah. from uh, and, and where this stuff That's goes. Right. Trisha, thank you, as always, for being here. Uh, neighbor to the North, we both made it through the bomb cyclone over the last three days. You've been reading that in the news. Uh, we've been putting up with the wet weather here. So thanks, everyone. We'll keep these conversations going. Uh, just, you know, Final words, just don't, you don't have to be brave. Go and do good work. <laughs> do what's right for kids uh, and, and continue to put one foot in front of the other. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Shifting Our Schools. If you found this episode helpful or inspiring, please make sure to subscribe and leave the team a five-star rating. If you want to learn more about the Shifting Schools team or download our free resources, head over to shiftingschools.com to see what's on offer now. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next week for another episode to keep rethinking the shifts our schools need.